1 Corinthians 12, verse 5, looks easy enough on page, but I, I'm a little concerned about my ability to communicate it like what I see it say and find the, the best way of expressing it. It says so simply in verse 5, there are, there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. Those are simple English words that sound so easy, don't they? Verse 4, it is verse 4, right? Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of, of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. We're studying the efficient functioning of the church. How did God design it? To work. And this is our verse for today. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Heavenly Father, help us with this verse today to get the understanding of what this says that we might glorify you and step into the place you have us to serve in such a way, in such an awe of what you are doing that your name alone gets the glory. Help us to understand today as we work through something so simple. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I do, as I was studying this up, I realized that uh, we are looking at a passage that talks about the greatness of our God. We had a great message about that last week. And uh, many times we struggle in trying to express something so big in our thinking that I thought I'd use an object today to help with it. <laughs> this might help. Think of this golf ball for a minute. You probably have been thinking about it all week long, haven't you? That was very impressive, Steve, what you shared with us last week. Uh, a blessing to all of us. And the illustration how small our world is compared to this great universe the Lord has made, uh, that's an astounding thing. Now, the reality is, that the reason I bring this up before you today, is because you can go the opposite direction too. And what we usually do when we think of big, we, we go way out, bigger and bigger and bigger. But even as you get closer and closer, the things get bigger and bigger. Like, for instance, this was the size of my elbow last week. It's supposed to be a little bag, uh, a bursa bag, as they would have it, that's a little protection pillow at the end of your elbow. But mine wasn't that little. It was really quite infected. Um, I woke up with that Monday morning um, a couple of weeks ago with fevers and shaking real bad. Uh, intense pain all over, swelling all the way up my arm. And, and uh, our first thought was a blood clot. But why would it be there except that I'm Pastor Bob and that's what I do. Uh, so we thought we'd better get down to the ER right away and have that checked out. And it's, it was an infection in my in that little bag in my elbow. Uh, it's not very big, 
It's not very big at all. It's just a little cushion on the end of the elbow. But, you know, when it gets to be the size of a golf ball and bigger, it hurts a lot. It does. And what they had to do, part of the, the thing they did for me there was to use a needle and draw some of the fluid out of it. They had to test it uh, for the kind of infection they were dealing with. And later on, I got the test results, and I don't understand most of that, the, the terminology on there. But I do know that they were counting at a equation of a millions per cubic millimeter. Now, I know what a millimeter looks like. And where do you find millions inside of that? I don't understand. It's just a concept I can't really grasp at all. A millimeter is hard enough to see. But to think of anything being measured in that millimeter in the millions is incredible to me. I don't know what's all in that elbow, but whatever it was, there were 13,000 of them. And I thought, really? 13,000 of these things, and maybe a lot more. It's hard to believe that anything so big could be in such a small place. All within the size of a golf ball. We use a telescope at times to uh, open our eyes to the vast universe around us. And yet, a microscope can also give you a view of the greatness of our God. What he has created as a universe really within us is really awe-inspiring to me. I'm aware of that when I think of how the Lord has constructed the church. We often view the church from a, a, a visual aspect of what we see on a Sunday morning. We see the folks sitting together. We see the choir singing. We, we participate in uh, our fellowship Maybe you come as well to Sunday night and you see a, the church functioning there too, here, uh, and the youth building next door. Uh, sometimes you might attend our Wednesday night. We hope you do. We have Wednesday night groups in several locations. And uh, there you see the church functioning again in a smaller setting in a home. Uh, we have Sunday school classes as well. We have children's ministries. We have other things happening but sometimes that's our view of what is the church. People say, what is the church? And, and you might say, well, it, it's, uh, it's a building located on Oak Street out there in Hillsdale, Oklahoma. Or you might say, well, the church is, is these people that meet together here and worship together. Or they go to my church or such phrases we use like that. Uh, the church is an organism. The church is a living body. It's a living, breathing church that belongs to Jesus Christ, made up of those who have put their faith in Him. It stretches over the course of this whole world, and it stretches as far back as 33 or so A.D., and it will continue on until the Lord comes to get us. It's an amazing thing to be a part of, and yet it's a masterful thing that the Lord has created. The display of his precision, the display of his imagination, I will add, in building the church is phenomenal if you take the time to look at it. In Psalm 139, verse 14, there's a verse there that we quoted before and we talked about it 
Uh, the psalmist is talking about himself there uh, and the fascination he has with the Lord's care for him. And the Lord is constantly in his doings paying attention to the one who wrote the psalm. And it's an amazing thing, uh, because everything God makes, understand, is intricate in its makeup. Going down to individual light waves that make up a whole rainbow that stretches across the sky. Or, or the tiniest of cells that are within the human body. I believe in a picture form that would be true of the church as well. We say, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And the Lord doesn't only do that in one department. He does that in everything He does. And the church is fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful is the Lord's works concerning it. And I hope we know that well. I hope we do. What has prompted all my thoughts here already this morning is this little verse in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Generally, this passage can be seen, I think, in those couple of verses, moving from the lesser to the greater. Each verse gets bigger, folks. I don't know what to do with next week's. Because as I'm looking at this passage in the middle, I think, that's amazing. Let me give you a concept, okay? A small concept. Last week, and the pre- or not last week, a couple weeks ago, and basically the whole month before that, we were in verse number four. And we only covered what would probably equate to about 20 spiritual gifts. About 20, more or less, uh, the New Testament identifies them. Some are speaking gifts, some are serving gifts, and those are the terms we used. Some seem to have been limited in time and place and purpose, and some definitely are necessary for the church to function today. But all of them had the same purpose. I was trying to say that while you were all looking at me wondering if I was sick. What is the purpose for every single gift? Now I'm pulling that note out again. That we all become to be like, like Jesus Christ, right? Isn't that what I said? Okay, good. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That is why you've been given a gift. That's why I've been given a gift. That's what that gift is for. No matter what your gift is, no matter what it is, it is for the building up of the body of Christ to be like Him. And that's the way we must employ each and every single one of our gifts. That's our purpose. That's why He gave it to us. In chapter 12, you're right here in verse 7. 
Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Living Bible makes it a simple phrase. As a means of helping the entire church for the profit of all of us. So your gift is for me and for everybody else. My gift is for you and for everybody else. That's our role in serving one another. And God designed it that way so that when you see verse 24 of this chapter, it says, God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. We have been constructed for a purpose. Every part has the same purpose. That we all become like Jesus. Are you employing your gift that way? Are you employing your gift that way? Say, but mine's a quiet gift. Mine's a I, nobody's to notice me kind of gift. What's the purpose of your gift? To help everybody else be more like Jesus. Is that the way you see it? That's the way God designed it. Whatever gift the Lord has given to you. Honestly, folks, if it's not employed in making your brother or sister like Christ, it's not being used correctly. I say that kind of bluntly, don't I? But I have to say it that way. Like I said, there are not many gifts listed in the New Testament in name form. That doesn't mean that the list is exhausted in Scripture. It might be. But God only labeled about 20 of them. And that's the reality of what we have in front of us in the New Testament. Kind of like this. There are not many bones in the body. 206 sounds like a lot. Right? But 206, how does that compare with 25 trillion red blood cells? In the same body. That's a big difference in number. I'm not counting all the other blood cells of different kinds or, or any other cells that are there. You've got nerve cells, you've got muscle cells, you've got brain cells, you've got white blood cells, you've got all these things. All tucked into a small space. That's an amazing picture when you start to think it through that way. So let me give you a picture of something, and I hope this helps. But we talk about, say, 20 gifts, and there's several listed here in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll get to those in a couple of weeks. But what happens when you take those gifts and break them down into ministries? I'm just going to talk about one today. Just take one gift that I happen to participate in, that gift called pastor-teacher. The Lord has given me that gift, I believe, for your sake. And many of you have, have confirmed that to me regularly, and I appreciate that, because that's what I desire to do, is use what He's given to me to help you to become more like Jesus. But let's take that one gift, not all 20 right now. I can't do that. Don't do that. Um, but one gift, and break it down and see what happens to it. According to a... Uh, computer internet group called Data Use. It says the number of active clergy in the United States workforce, by that word I assume he means paid positions, in 2019 
is 458,000 pastors in the United States. Obviously, you don't want them all up on the pulpit this morning. 458,000 pastors. Now, set aside the fact that some of those are great and some of those are not great at all. Let's set that to the side. But let's just use this number as a reference point for a minute. You take one gift, the gift of pastor-teacher, and multiply it by the number of people who have that gift. Say that that number reflects that, and you've got 458,000 ministries from one gift. Just to represent ministries that that gift can function in. It's amazing to me. There are pastors in large denominational churches. There are pastors with multi-staff setups in that church. There are pastors who are the only pastor in their church, and they work as a sole pastor or a, a single pastor in a large church, and some in medium churches, some in small churches. And I think the majority in America is probably smaller. There are pastors in independent churches as well, in Bible churches. There are, there are missionary pastors, like I was for many years. I was called a missionary pastor when I served with the Indiana Bible Church Mission, obviously up in Indiana, but we expanded. We're now called Midwest Church Extension, and uh, a dear friend of mine still is uh, the director of that ministry. It's kind of fun to watch it because when I was part of it, it was just the state of Indiana, and somebody in Kentucky needed help, so we kind of branched out a little bit into Kentucky, and somebody in Ohio needed help, and so we branched out into Ohio. And I said, boy, this mission's getting big. And then Illinois' director was retiring, so they said, why don't we merge the two? So we had an Indiana-Illinois ministry that included Kentucky and Ohio. And then they, or the, the Wisconsin uh, director, he was going to retire as well, so they said, well, why don't you just throw Wisconsin in there too? And so they expanded to Wisconsin, and then they were in Iowa, and they were down in Missouri, and other locations. And I said, well, Pastor Henry, you keep that up, you're taking over the world. We just joked about that all the time, because I said, when are you coming to Oklahoma? Because we don't have a director here for a church extension department. And, and so it's kind of funny to watch how it's grown over the years and, and stretched. But I was part of that group many years ago. Our job as a missionary pastor was either plant a church or rescue a church. I was in the rescue department. I was sent into the churches that were on some sort of uh, life support system, if you will. They were hardly breathing. Matter of fact, one church I went into, uh, when I got there, they told me the date when they were going to close the doors. They projected it according to their their numbers. They had four years to go, and they knew what day that would be, and they were done. And so they called us in there and said, now what can you do about that? That's an interesting thing. When you're working in a small town that was also drying up. Matter of fact, in order to get some money for the town to put in new lights, just on the corners, on the sidewalks, they had to blight the whole town. 
if you've ever done what that's all about. It's some sort of a, a terminology they have to do. If your town is blighted, then the government will come in and give you money. So they blighted all of us. And the whole town was uh, suddenly labeled as, as hopeless, pretty much. We got new streetlights out of it. I don't know what value that was, but the town was going downhill, and we wanted to watch it, I guess. But uh, uh, we... It was a struggling place, the little church. There was 20 people in the church. 20 people in our church. And with my family, that made it about 25. And that was our Sunday morning service. And I was a missionary pastor. You say, well, what's that? Well, I'll tell you what it's like. When we were coming to the end of that particular ministry and I started candidating at other churches, I, I went to one place particularly, and uh, one of the people in the pastoral committee said, so, you've been a missionary pastor for five years? And I said, yeah. He says, have you ever been a real pastor? I said, huh? He said, have you ever been a real pastor? Well, let me tell you what a missionary pastor does. A missionary pastor, like I did in rescue work, did all the things a real pastor can do. We preach each week. We teach our Sunday school classes. We lead our Wednesday uh, evening prayer meetings and Sunday night services. And we had an Awana clubs, and I was the leader of the Awana clubs. And we had a choir, and we sang with the choir. We had puppets for the church ministry. We did that too. I do weddings. I did funerals. I did baptisms. I visit the sick. I minister to those who are hurting. I drive the church van. I answer letters. I write letters. I record the services as well with all the technology that I didn't know what I was doing. I corresponded with missionaries. I record. I I printed the bulletins. Yes. And on top of that, it was just church work. And then you had to go out in the community and talk to people who won't go to church and invite them to come as well. You try that, and it's very real. And all the while, you're trying to get one more week out of this church. One more week. One more week to keep its doors open. You can do that exact same ministry in a church of 200 you could do that ministry in a church of 150. You could do that in a church of 20. It's all very real because it's the same work for a pastor or teacher. Even in a tiny congregation, they still feel the same successes and they feel the same failures and they feel the same struggles. And there are many, many pastors out there, folks, who are ministering in the tiniest congregations and pouring their hearts into that ministry. And so often, we measure them by the size of their congregation and not by the gift that the Lord has given to them. They are working hard. Some of these pastors are, have to work full-time, too, just to be able to stay in a church like that. Some of these pastors are going to school full-time as well to get a better education so they can serve their church better. I know all those things because I've been there. That's what I've seen, and that's what I've experienced. And I just want to expand your thinking on something, because there are pastors who serve under very difficult places, in different places as well. They have titles that don't sound like pastors, but they may go by the name chaplain. And they may be serving today in the military, like some of my dear friends are. 
Some of them have been in the battlefields with their fellow soldiers as pastors to these soldiers. I used to tease with one of my friends, Captain Dahl is his name. Dahl, that's a fun name for a a big, tough Marine type of chaplain. D-O-L-L is his last name. And so I'd say to, to my friend, I said, Kevin, you're, you're out there on the field, in the battlefield. I mean, that's back in the days of the Iraqi things and all those kind of things. And he's, he's serving overseas there. And I said, so um, what, what, what do you do to protect yourself? You're out there with them like that. He says, well, I, I take carry a gun. I said, okay. He says, I carry this little card. And I said, you mean if somebody comes at you, you hold up a card? And he says, well, I could, but they have to get past the big guy next to me with the gun. <laughs> so he wasn't alone out there. But I was thinking, what a ministry to be in there where these guys are giving their lives for the sake of the service to this country and in a battle situation. And they've got family back home. They've got burdens on their hearts that are huge. And you say, well, he's only a chaplain. Oh, no, he's not. He's ministering to some who are in life and death situations. And and I know these men, and and they're pastors to our troops. They're preaching, and they're teaching, and they're serving, and they're helping with needs and comfort and growth in very dangerous places. And if you understood the suicide rate with all this, it would astound you. My, my son right now serves up in, in um, Montana, in a pretty tough place. And the suicide rate, even there, he works as an MP, so he has to go in where suicides take place. And it breaks his heart to walk into those rooms. And there was just one two weeks ago, and it was tough. Uh, it was one of his fellow workers. But these are the kind of things that they face constantly. Chaplains serve hard places. There are chaplains in the police force. There are chaplains who serve in the fire departments. We have chaplains in the hospital like Perry. We talk about Perry's work down in uh, Enid as well. We have chaplains in the prison. You guys know them. Uh, the Guineans get in there quite often. Uh, I guess it's great to say they had a captive audience, huh? But uh, still, what a ministry, what a clientele to minister to. Who's their church made up of? There are university pastors. That's got to be a tough job, I think. Do you know even some businesses, some businesses have pastoral staffs in their business? A clergy as part of the structure that they have designed for the sake of their people. And you may say, well, that's kind of interesting. But I did see an ad just the other day posted by the state of New Mexico looking for clergy to work for the state. All the tasks of a regular pastor, as long as he has proof of COVID-19 vaccination. I'm not going to apply. I'm just saying something. This list can go on and on and on and on. What you take is one little gift called the gift of pastor-teacher. 
And in my simple way of trying to express that, multiply it by 458,000. And that's the kind of ministries we have out there. Assuming that that number just says, the Lord hasn't gifted them for the sake of that ministry, for the sake of building up the body of Christ. That's quite a number. I'm just talking United States of America. What's that number if we stretch it out across the worldwide view as well? What an amazing figure that would be of men who are serving as pastors, teachers in our world. I want to just give you a glimpse of how creative our Lord is. When it takes one gift, he does within the body, and he lets us set that little microscope on it and see the number of cells of ministries that a single gift can open up in operation at any moment, anywhere in this world. That's astounding to see what he has been doing. Now take that concept I just gave you, and I expressed it for one gift. Think of it for each gift. Because I think in the percentage of things, actually the gift of pastor and teacher has a smaller percentage of people active in that gift than there are in many of the other gifts that the Lord has given to the church. And sometimes you talk about the gift of mercy, or the gift of hospitality, or the gift of organization, or the gift of teaching, or the gift of wisdom, or whatever. You take each of those and multiply them in the multifaceted way the Lord can multiply service and put it into the whole body of Christ and stand back and go, Wow! What the Lord can do! And that's just coming from about 20 gifts. He has his servants in ministry. I want to underscore this. Because that's what the gifts are for. They're for ministry. You, as a believer, true or false, do you have a spiritual gift? True. I'm going to prove that if you're not sure of it before we're done with 1 Corinthians 12. But if you have a gift, what's it for? It's for ministry. Do you believe that too? That's what it's for. No matter what that gift is, you are in ministry if the Lord has gifted you. And that ministry is so diverse. That's the word we have. Varieties. Each one, literally the the Greek word comes out like this. Each one is different. Each ministry is different. And this is where we tend to make our little mistake. I have to confess. If God can really be as creative as we say, and we believe He is, that He makes every snowflake different. Why? It's just going to melt anyway. Why does He take so much effort to make them all so unique. If he's going to take the time to do that, think of what he's doing in the church. Something that has eternal value that goes on and on. He makes every single ministry different. Different in each part. And that's what it's saying here. There are varieties of ministries. That means something very important. 
Years ago, I, I started to become friends with a group of pastors. They all went to the same Bible college. I noticed something about them. They all preached in the same way. They had the same mannerisms. They had uh, the same words that they used. They even combed their hair the same direction. I said, huh, isn't that unique? Until I met the president of the school. He looked just like all of them. I said, well, that's interesting. When, when Charles Spurgeon, when Charles Spurgeon went on to be with the Lord, his church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, decided to hire his son, Thomas Spurgeon, to be their pastor. They had chosen him because he had the same voice as his father. And he had the same mannerisms as his father. But after a while, they realized he didn't have the same power as his father. He served there many years, but they kept saying, well, he's not Charles, is he? Too often when we, as churches, seek pastors... It's not uncommon for them to start the comparisons. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know what to say. But they say, well, that one's kind of like MacArthur, or that one's kind of like Rick Warren, or that one's kind of like a Charles Stanley. And so they, they put these pastors in their little camps of who they are like. I really wish that they'd start to think, that one looks like Christ. After all, a pastor is an under-shepherd, right? Uh, we have a chief shepherd that we serve. And the best thing that a pastor can ever give to his church is a pastor that looks like the shepherd. First Peter kind of drives my thinking there. But that's the part we often neglect because we look at all the gifts as if they're all the same. And all their ministries ought to look the same. And we should go about copying everybody else when the Lord didn't design it that way, did He? There's variety in ministries. And when you step back from that, you start to realize there is one thing consistent. It's the same Lord. And this is where we ought to put the focus, not on the varieties. Well, the varieties are pretty cool because it shows His imagination, it shows His creativity, it shows His... his his ability to do incredible things, like measuring the different sizes of the universes. Wow! But He is Lord. He is the master of the ministries. Ministry should not have a mind of its own. Ministry should not seek its own. Ministry is not for its own glory. Ministry should not operate by its own strength or according to its own wisdom. No matter what your ministry is, and I throw mine in this pile right now, it is designed by the creative Lord. It's the same one who made the rainbow, folks. It's the same one who created the giraffe and the earth and the human body. And each and every cell in it. He is the one who works with diversity and variety. 
But He must be the Sovereign Lord. He not only made it, but He sustains it. That's His place within the body. That means your ministry is not insignificant. Don't ever say, oh, it's such a little thing. It's, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Oh, the Lord made it a big deal. And He's the Lord of all the parts, isn't He? Isn't He? Yes. Notice it. There are varieties of ministry, but it's the same Lord. I think that's really cool how Paul chose that word right there. Some people will break it down and say, well, the Spirit is the first one of the Lord. That must be Jesus and the second one. And that, in verse number 6, that must be God. So that's God the Father. So they say, there's the Trinity. We just figured it all out. But no, look at it this way. There are varieties of gifts. We have one Spirit who gives them out. We have a variety of ministries. But who oversees it? The same Lord. Everywhere, 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 the same Lord. And guess what? Wait till we get to the next one. Who is able to do all this and bring the effects? God is able to do it. Have we ever heard those words, God is able, before? Wow, is that a big thing? Well, let's save that one for next week. The point is, your ministry is not insignificant no matter what it is, because it's a master's plan. And no part is too little in that plan. 13,000 inside of a ball. He knows every single one of them. Intimately. Fearfully and wonderfully put together. He knows every single one of them. And guess what? He's the Lord of all of them. Of every part of every piece. Please, don't be quick to compare your ministry to somebody else's. Don't do that. Give room for the fact that the Lord is creative. <laughs> the Lord can handle this. He, he's not overwhelmed by, by the size of the ministries that come from the gifts. He designed it that way. Since He's the Lord of the ministry, let it work that way. We need to be constant in one thing, folks. And I'll say it this way. Keep going to Him to know how to serve today. Because I think something is also surprising to us in the very fact that any kind of a, a moisture at all, a, a rain cell or whatever you want to call it, it can make snow one day, it can make sleet another day, it can make rain the third day. Don't be surprised if the Lord could move even your ministry from what it is today to something tomorrow differently. And the next day differently from that. Because He's able to do that, isn't He? He is the Lord of ministry. He's very good at steering us if we will just appeal to Him. I often tell my children, I could finish this phrase, but I tell them often, it's hard to steer a parked car. It's hard to steer a parked car. Keep the wheels moving, folks. Keep turning to the Lord of the ministries and let Him steer you. You'd be amazed at what He's got in store for you. Don't ever say, oh, it's too little. It's too little. He's the Lord of the ministry. And by the way, folks, He also is the provider of that ministry too. 
Because he doesn't send us out and say, okay, now you go figure out how to get this done. He provides. He sustains. He makes it come to its completion. There's great encouragement in a phrase I I have often thought of from Hudson Taylor. He said, depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Never. In case you're wondering, well, maybe, maybe that's not so true. Stretch that out over the last 2,000 years and see where God has failed. He has ministered in His church. He has provided for His church. Our only problem is it stretches our faith muscles. (laughs) And we don't like to feel that pain, do we? But what a joy it is to serve Jesus. Do you know that? Are you sure of that? Don't ever forget... You have a ministry. Yes, you. You're saying, well, not me. Yes, you. You belong to Jesus Christ. You have a ministry. Do it to please your Lord. Don't do it to please Pastor Bob, the elders, to look good in the congregation. Don't, don't, don't ever forget why you have that gift and the target of that gift. That gift is for the church body. Use it, folks. Employ it. Use it. Because we all need to be like Jesus. And you have a part in doing that. You have a part in helping us to be like that. I just want us to step back today and say, I'm in awe when I start to realize how big this thing gets. (laughs) The church body is amazing. The further you look into it, and the deeper you look into it. And we haven't even touched on the effects yet. And that's the next verse. The effects of what God can do. I'm just trying to give you a few things to think about today. Don't think small when it comes to our Lord and the way He designed you to serve Him within the body of Christ. Don't belittle yourself. Am I yelling at somebody here today? I don't know. Oh, I'm so insignificant. Uh, Did I say that right? We always have that yang 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 kind of sound to it, don't we? I don't have to think, the the faith to think bigger than the little thing I do. Yeah, you know, when you have your focus on yourself, you see limitations all over the place. Every time you look at yourself, you look at your handicaps and you say, I can't, I can't, I can't. It was the same Hudson Taylor who says, you don't need a great faith. You just need faith in a great God. He is not limited. He is Lord. You know it? He is Lord. He is Lord of ministry. Now go forth and serve Him. Go forth and serve Him. Heavenly Father, help us with this. There's a lot for us to learn. But we can start with identifying you as the one who not only created all these things, but sustains all these things, provides for all these things. And then in your great mystery that wonders us to the core, you put us in your body to serve. Lord, that shows again how great you are as Lord that you could take all these inferior pieces and make something glorious out of it. But that's who you are. You are Lord. 
And we stand in awe of you today, thanking you for what you have shown us. Help us to grasp it and help us to move in ministry that you might steer us and use us for your honor and glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.